verses 13 through 23 this morning. I'll read that passage first. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Let's pray. Our Father in God, what a joy it is to see and to hear testimony about the things that you're doing in folks' lives. What a joy to see how they're able to fellowship together and be blessed. And Lord, to see a changed life that only you can change is such a joy and blessing. It's a life raised from the dead. We thank you for the privilege of opening the word of God and to be challenged. Father, we have to admit, starting with myself, that our minds get so cluttered with our own goals, with our own thoughts, with our own objectives. And Father, we so easily get distracted from your plan, from the things that you are doing, things that you want to do. And I pray, Father, and ask with every one of us that you'd use the word of God in our lives to help us to have a vision for the things that you're doing, you have done, and you will continue to do. And I pray that you might have your will and your way in every one of our lives as we study the word of God together today. We thank you for this privilege and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. i got to turn my microphone on. We've entitled this morning's message, The Lord's Church and Table. Summer is just behind us. We are starting a, and, and I understand that summer has not officially ended by its date, but basically summer schedules are pretty much behind for most of us. 
new school year has begun, and as we've seen this morning already, there's all kinds of church activities that are beginning again, the small groups, and I will encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities for the small groups, the teachers, everything's out there. And then the Christian growth classes and those brochures we ought to be spreading around. It gives the, the time spread of, that, that's basically what was known as Sunday school. We're calling them ch church, uh, Christian growth classes. That's going into full swing. There's a lot of things going on and, and everything's moving. And I think it's a good time, so you understand with the message today, it's a good time to take a step back since we have communion this morning. Now, for those of you, apparently we do have some visitors here today that don't know Fellowship Bible Church and this ministry and my teaching ministry is uh, stayed and steadfast on expository preaching. We go verse by verse through the scriptures and uh, we go through the word of God and currently we're studying in the book of Titus. But I think it's a good opportunity today with communion to take a step back and we want to focus really in on communion and be reminded of some things. We'll have communion at the end like we do often and uh, we'll have a song in between to be reminded. But I think, Lord willing, next week we will resume with our study in the book of Titus. Now at first, when I read the passage that I just read to you, if you're familiar with communion and you're familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, uh, I should say 1 Corinthians, this may seem to you kind of a strange text for a communion passage. Um, but I, I, I think as we go on, you'll see uh, what the objective is in using this text. Let me give you a little background because it's important to the text, even though we're going to center on communion here this morning. Prior to chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, as you open up the book, has been born. There's been the birth of Christ. He's come on the scene. He's faced his personal temptations. And I say that it really continued on through his entire ministry. But the ones that are well known as Satan came to him in the desert, that has taken place. He's been involved prior to chapter 16 in teaching for approximately in his public ministry about two and a half years. He has preached the Sermon on the Mount, much of which most of you are familiar with. He has teach, uh, taught excuse me, the parables of the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is like and what it will be like. He has also just fed 4,000. If you look at chapter 15 for just one moment, verses 32 to 39, it says, And Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for people because they have remained with me more than three days having nothing to eat. And then he goes on and he feeds them. And if you look down, uh, we find out that in this particular case, there were 4,000 of them. I'll pick it up in verse 37. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over, broken pieces, seven large bread. And those who ate were 4,000. Many are familiar with the 5,000, but he had already fed 5,000. And now, very recently, he's fed 4,000 again. So he's miraculously been showing his ministry. This has happened. And his disciples, just so you understand it, when we come to our text this morning, with all that teaching, with all the miracles, with everything they've seen, with all the instruction that's been given to them, and by now, most of his disciples are true believers. 
with all of that under consideration, they're still trying to figure out who he is and what his plan is as believers. It is pretty obvious. How do we know that? Look at chapter 16 just before our text. Simply go down to verses 8 through 11. I won't go through all of the first uh, 12 verses, but if you look through 8 through 11. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? He just fed 4,000. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000? And how many baskets full were picked up? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000, which he just did? And how many large baskets you picked up? And then he says this, how is it that you, that is the disciples, that is those that are following him, that is those that are professing faith, do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? And he's talking about the leaven, and he's talking about what can happen with false doctrine, and he's talking about what can happen to the church of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. He's been speaking for two and a half years. These are professing believers. They've just witnessed miracle after miracle. They're rejoicing in what Christ has done, and they're still trying to figure things out. They're no different from where. That leads into the text that we have before us. Now, in our text in chapter 16, verses 13 to 23, it is obvious, and that's why I went back to, as you know me, the, those that are here on a regular basis, I believe in expository preaching. And I am going to use a lot of application today. Back to communion. Why? Because I want us to all examine our lives. I want all of us, starting with the one that's preaching, to remember what God has done. To remember what God is doing and who in the world we are and what is going on. These disciples, with all that I just gave you in a very five-minute brief background, had forgotten all of that. And it's a good picture of what, and I am emphasizing application, and I've said that very clearly, not looking to take anything out of context. But as we pick it up in verse 13, I want you and I to see this is a picture of you and I before salvation. When we're about to get involved in participating in this communion, think back to what it was like before we were saved. What are you talking about? Well, as you get into chapter 16, verse 13, it says when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, very quickly, so I again I'll, uh, treat the text properly. Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. So if you think of, and if you get familiar with that, the east there, it's the Sea of Galilee northeast, about 25 miles. This is not on the trips where you go near to Caesarea that's on the Mediterranean Sea, and many of you have been there. That's not what we're talking about here. This is the area that today, guess what, is Syria. Ever hear of them in the news recently? That's what we're talking about. That's where he was. He's near Lebanon, as you would think of it today, okay, in that area, all right? And he's asking, listen, his disciples, who do men say that I am? What's the response? It's no different from the response that you would find with people that don't know the Lord. 
Some say you're John the Baptist. Some, you're Elijah. Other people, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I thought back even on my own salvation and people have all kinds of views and I would put worldviews of who Jesus Christ is. Some of you that are sitting in this room today may have different views of Christ. Oh, he was a religious man. He was a man that came into this world and died, some Jew, in, in some 2,000 years ago. He was a good man. He was maybe a, a man to follow by example. And a lot of people have those type of concepts. Maybe you had that prior to salvation. But did you really have the concept that this was God, very God, who came into the world and took on flesh to make it possible for you and I to have salvation? Normally, the world does not have that perspective. We can have all kinds of answers about Jesus Christ, but not the right one. And that's important because prior to salvation, even these disciples had no concept, as far as a biblical concept, of really who the Messiah really was going to be. They might have thought they did. And prior to salvation, folks, listen, where would we be? Lost. Plain and simple. Have you forgotten that? Have I forgotten that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. In the world that you and I are living in, we are constantly bombarded with the concept that man is good. With the concept that man is... I don't know how, honestly, this is right from my heart, I don't know how, honestly, a human being who has half an eye open that is aware of the world that we are living in today can possibly think that man is basically good. With all of the news that you get and all of the sin that is thrown before us day after day after day. And the scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death. The, the scriptures tell us that before salvation, we were under condemnation. That's where you and I were before we partake of these elements today. We were an enemy of God. We were a sinner, helpless, unable to do anything. And if you are sitting here today thinking for one minute that as you go through life and just try to be as good as you can and just respect people and try to get along that somehow you're going to convince God after you die that he's going to let you into heaven, you are only fooling one person, and that is yourself. Because the wages of sin is death, and you will die, and you will stand before your maker. And he's got no reason to let you in because of your goodness, because you don't have any. We were called dead, according to the book of Ephesians. Destined for judgment, destined for hell. People today don't even want to believe there's a hell. They talk about hell being what they're facing on earth. This is nothing to be compared with being separated from God for all eternity. Nothing. We are all sinners. We were all sinners, even though we are uh, professing faith in Christ today. We have nothing to boast of. We're just like people of that day. These people that were saying, John the Baptist, uh, you know, uh, these religions that attack, attach excuse me, the name of Jesus to it today, that's all over the world that you and I are living in today. We would be nowhere, not a one of us. We were without hope, 
lost in this world. And then you got to come to verse 15. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, it doesn't matter what your uncle, your aunt, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, or anyone else that you can think of thinks about Jesus. The question comes down to this. What do you think? Who do you think Jesus is? And if you just think he's a good man, if you think he's even, and by the way, it's interesting he picks John the Baptist. There has been none like John the Baptist, according to God himself, that has ever lived in this world. None. You want to compare somebody, go to compare to him. And even that doesn't make it. What matters is who do you think Jesus is? Just a good man? Someone to attach? And I'm going to say this publicly and out loud again. We are living in a day and age in which professing Christianity is enormous. In fact, many people think if you're born in the United States of America, you're a Christian. Of course we're a Christian. No, no. You're not born a Christian. When you're born again, you become a Christian. When you're born from above. And it's interesting, the response, because now Peter sees him for exactly who he is. You are the Christ that is the Messiah, the one sent from God, the son of the living God, not a dead God. He says to him, I recognize who you are. You're the Savior. You're the one that's been promised to come. <clears throat> and my friend, if you here today are professing faith in Christ and you are a genuine believer, that's where you came to. You came to realize that this Jesus is the Messiah of God. He is the only Savior. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one that can come to the Father except by him. He's the only way. He's the only Savior. I don't care how many religions there are in the world today that attach the name of Jesus Christ to them. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. It's not him plus anybody else. It's not him plus you. It's not him plus anyone. He is the only Savior. And the reason he's the Savior is he satisfied the righteousness of God in his death. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He absorbed the punishment for that sin. You and I deserved the punishment of not just physical death, but spiritual death internally being separated from God and had no way to correct that. And we're all sinners. But this man who was without sin bore the penalty for us so that now we are not under condemnation because the price has been paid. Now, Peter recognized that. But I want you to see this, verse 17, and I want you to apply it. This, this statement by Peter was not because he was so smart. Verse 17, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You can study all the books on theology you want. You can study every religion in the face of the earth. You can reason by way of creation. You can do all that you want with your natural mind to try to determine who God is, and it will not get you there. You can be the most intelligent individual 
or you can be the least intelligent individual in the world. That is not what does it. How did Peter gain this understanding? How did you gain this understanding? I've heard people say, well, I've known God all my life. Not really. You haven't. Not the God of the Bible. You might think you have. And I came to this understanding, and I even get a kick out of people saying, I brought so many people to salvation. There isn't one human being that honestly has ever brought anybody to salvation. We might share the gospel, but God is the only one. That's why don't worry about numbers, folks. Worry about preaching the word. Worry about giving the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's got to do the work. How do you know that? He says so. My father who is in heaven. His father revealed this to Peter. It was God who opened up the understanding, and that's what he did for you and I. It wasn't our intelligence, and if you're here today, our prayer is that God would open up your understanding as to who he is and what salvation is, because only God can open up a person's heart. How does he do it? By the truth of the word of God. It's what we call the gospel. It's the good news. It's we are totally condemned, but God has, by his own love for us, sent his son, perfectly holy, bore the price of our sin, and our penalty has been paid. Now by faith in that person who has finished the work, rose from the dead the th third day, and is now ascended to heaven, by faith in that person's work, I have eternal life by the revelation of God. That is foolishness to man. But God opens the heart. And if you're here today and about to take partake in communion, you have nothing to boast of. I have nothing to boast of. It was God's work. Even the person that witnessed to you, even the person that you had opportunity, it wasn't them. God did it. He opened our heart. Tremendous. But I want you to see a couple other quick things. I'm going to have to bounce through so we get to the communion. Very important, verse 18. He said to Peter, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, I'm not going to get into all the debate about that and so forth, because people, this is, got nothing, I'll tell you this, got nothing to do, and my, if you're not familiar, you're visiting today and don't know my background, I come from a background of Roman Catholicism. This has nothing to do with the Pope whatsoever. He's building it on what? On the statement that Peter just made, and that is simply that this is the Christ. And I want you to notice this. Christ is building his church. It's his church. You happen to be sitting in Fellowship Bible Church, and Pastor Stringer is sitting out here. Pastor Stringer was the founding uh, pastor of this church. He did not build this church. Pastor Dan did not build this church. Christ built this church, and Christ is still building his church. Any local assembly that's worth its salt. It's not men. It's not structure. It's God's church. This isn't about religion. This isn't about denominations. Too many believers today are fighting over issues like this. Christ is still building his church, and I want you to notice this. He said, as he goes on further, and the gates of Hades themselves will not overpower it. Nothing will destroy the church of God. Nothing and no one. Why? because he's the one building it, because he's the one over it. It's his church. And as true believers, 
We need to focus on the fact that it is God's church and as true believers, we have absolutely nothing to boast of. And we, according to the scriptures, are members one of another. Remember that when you come to this communion. We are members one of another. We are not the enemy. Other believers, whether here or not here, are not the enemy. We are part of Christ's church. We need to be focused on the fact of what God is doing and be a part of it and see how crucial it is. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is our own flesh that gets in the way. And the enemy is the thinking of the world that saturates into our minds. And folks, often we lose the focus. And rather than humbly just understand what God has done in our lives and what God is doing, we get lost, just like the disciples did. Just like the disciples did. All the miracles, all the evidence, everything they saw, they get focused in on their personal things and lost focus on what God was doing. And so he brings them back. Now, this is the marvelous part of chapter 16. Then you come to verses 21 to 23. Go there. It's amazing. This is Peter who just professed that Jesus is the Christ. So now Jesus goes on and says, hey, I have a plan. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm paraphrasing. You look at it. He says, and I am going to suffer. I am going to die. And I'm going to be raised up on the third day. And here's Mr. Solid Christian that comes along and says, no way. What? It is Peter. Peter took him aside. Can you imagine this? Now, you and I, 2013, could sit down and say, what's the matter with Peter? Do you really think you would not have done this? I'll be honest with you. I probably would have done the same thing Peter did. That's not part of your plan. Are you kidding? All those trials you're going to go through? You're going to die? Are you kidding? You know, I understand you, Lord. I know the miracles you did. I, I think you're mistaken here. Something went wrong in your planning. That's what he's saying. He's saying, this shall never happen to you. Do you know that you and I would not be able to partake of the Lord's table if the Lord did not die? and go to the cross, Peter would have had no salvation. There would be no salvation. And here he thinks he's doing God a favor to stand up for what is right. This isn't going to happen. Really? And here he is, the lead apostle. And Jesus says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? His words were devastating. Out of his own mouth, he was destroying the church of God. And God's going to rebuke him and say, get thee behind me. Sometimes things don't look good, even after salvation in our lives. 
We need to keep our focus on what God is doing, building his church, on who God is, and on who we are. Peter had lost that just for a little bit. It's a pretty strong rebuke. Peter's later on going to go, and you, know, you well know, to deny the Lord three times. Sometimes we think as believers, I walk me personally, you as a believer, and everything's right, and we're always on target. We need to be looking at a bigger picture. And as we come to communion, first of all, where would we be this morning? Where would our lives be if God did not open up our understanding? We'd have no salvation. What is Christ doing in 2013? He's still building his church. What is God doing in my personal life? Still molding me to Christ, to the image of God. And as we come to communion, we want to remember a number of things. Who we were, what Christ has done, whose church, I'm not just talking Fellowship Bible Church. Some of you may be thinking that's all I'm talking about. Not at all. I think the church of Jesus Christ worldwide is in array today. And I think members of Christ's body have lost focus that Christ is building his church and the things that God is doing. We need to understand who we represent. When I go to work, when you go to work, when we talk with our neighbors, when we go on vacation, who are we representing? When we speak, when we talk, when we use social media, who are we representing? Jesus Christ and his church to the world. We need to make sure that we're savoring the things of God. How are we doing in relationship to our walk with God? In our relationship to walking with one another? In our relationship to walking with other believers around the world? God wants us to get back into focus. And so as we come to the communion table today, and I will look at the 1 Corinthians 11 passage in a second, but I want you to start to think upon that as we get ready for communion. What is it that the Lord has done for you personally what is he doing in your life now? How are we representing Christ? And might God help our preparation for the communion portion of the service and partaking of the elements, set our tone on who Christ is and what he's doing. Before we get there, uh, Pastor Chris is going to lead us in another song intentionally met, uh, designed in preparation for the Lord's table today. After that, we'll look at the text and have communion. So Pastor Chris would lead us in that song. like us to stand. You can take your songbooks and turn to number 28 or look at the screen and we're going to sing uh, Behold the Lamb of God. And we're going to sing through all the stanzas as we prepare our hearts this morning to, um, to have communion together. bears our sins away, slain for us. And we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at 
the cross. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the King. The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal the that brings us life. The prize to make us one. So we share in this and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. The blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember, he drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth as we share in his suffering we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of heaven around the table of the King. Be seated, thanks. As the elders are coming forth and we'll get ready to partake in the elements, I do want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to us. That's all I'll do a very brief comment. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And here's the reason. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. With a reminder of what the Lord's done for us, there's nothing significant in the elements themselves. It is to remind us what Christ has done in dying on the cross for us. So as a believer, we encourage you to partake of the elements. If you're not a believer, we ask you to refrain. It's a reminder of that sacrifice, the cost of our salvation, and we are proclaiming to the world the gospel. We come from different backgrounds, different genders, but we are one in Christ because of the work of Christ. And remember, folks, till he comes, he's coming back. And until he comes, let's represent him well. And let's look forward as we partake of these elements.
just read was that Jesus had asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And uh, not long after, Peter gave a sermon in the book of Acts in chapter 2. He said, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, a Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put us to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So Jesus went to the cross with the full knowledge that he was going to sacrifice his body for our sins. And this was according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. So as we remember this morning, let's remember what he did as he offered himself there on the cross for you.
Christ shed his blood for you and me. If you're participating in this and truly know the Lord as your Savior, I want to remind you of this amazing freedom. First Corinthians, Paul said, For I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you, my children. Oops, I got the wrong text. Page 45. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicated, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the amazing statement. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You have been sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. God has done a marvelous work, and we ought to be grateful for that. Let's just stand and Let's pray. Father, Every Communion Sunday, we take up a Fellowship Fund offering, which we're going to...